Today marks the penultimate message in each of our series. You guys know this word, penultimate? I didn't either until I had to study Greek. And there were accent rules, and it told you where to put the accent on the Greek word. And if it was right next to the last syllable, it was the penultimate. So if you really want to sound smart, just start throwing around the word penultimate. It really impresses people. Maybe not. But in both series, both in the psalm this morning and in the study that we're doing on union with Christ, the, the penult kind of rec- represents the, the high point or the crisis point of what we're looking at. And then next week will be the, the outflowing and the resolution of, of these things in a, in a manner of speaking. Um, particularly apt this evening, we, we land on a um, closer focus on the resurrection as we did this morning, and those two points overlapping as well. So the scripture from which we'll be working primarily tonight is once again in Romans. And again, what we've been doing is looking at different aspects of union with Christ, what that means. And tonight we begin in Romans chapter 8 and verses 31 through 39. So listen to God's word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, also is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word. So in our first installment of this evening series on Union of Christ, we looked at the importance of being united with Christ instead of being united with Adam. We saw how in our first father, Adam, even from birth, we shared union with him. He, from birth, is our representative, and because of that union with him, we are credited with his disobedience. We received his guilty verdict. And we received his sentence of death. But, as we saw, when we've placed our faith in Christ, when we are united through, with Christ through baptism and through faith, we are credited with his obedience. We receive his verdict of not guilty. And we are blessed with his reward of eternal life. 
So that was in general the first week. Last week we looked more closely at this aspect of sharing in Christ's experience of his death and rising again. We saw that there were two aspects of that. Romans 6.3, again, just for our reminder. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And particularly last week, we we looked at the first half of this. How we're blessed, which seems sort of counterintuitive, how we're blessed by being united with Christ in his death. The reason we saw that that was a blessing was because Christ died, the law, which he had kept perfectly, if you remember the analogy, the rules of the board game, he had kept perfectly, and so having died, those rules, that law as a way of gaining God's favor no longer applied to him. The whole system of law-keeping for life was finished. It was done away with for him and his death. And, as Paul points out, particularly in Romans 7, because those who are united with him are counted as having had the same experience, and that is dying with him, then believers, you too, are counted as dead to that use of the law as a way of pursuing life. And because we're dead to the law, Paul says, we are freed from having to achieve eternal life through our own law-keeping. That is, instead, we receive eternal life as a gift. But not only that, we're also, Paul says, freed from the power of sin that prior to our death to the law worked so destructively through the law. And so by having died with Christ and so being dead to the law in Him, we're actually empowered by the Spirit and by our freedom to better be able to keep God's commands. So those are the benefits that we looked at last week of our being united with Christ in his death. But, as you just heard, Paul in Romans 6 speaks of being united with Christ not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. So how important is it that we experience this aspect of our union with Christ as well? Why is it important for us to have been united with Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection? Well, to answer this question, we have to understand the meaning of a particular word. Now, with some audiences, we use words like this, and the difficulty is that it's unfamiliar. We say something like justification, and they're like, I'm not sure what that is. But I think in a context like this, we might have another problem in that we use these words and hear these words so frequently that they just become Christianese in our ears and we don't even really think about what they mean. So let's refresh our memory. I'm sure you guys have all um, been instructed in this. But the word justification, this word justification, the concept of justification is going to be our answer to the question, why do we want to be united with Christ also in his resurrection? We've already talked about the idea of justification. This is the idea of our having been declared not guilty. Remember, this is one of the blessings that we receive from generally being united to Christ. We are credited with his innocence. So, question 33 of the Shorter Catechism. 
gives us a good synopsis of justification. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So what has to happen in order for us to be justified, that is to be declared not guilty? Well, as we've already seen, we have to be united with Christ in his death, for which he first had to die. But remember what the scripture says. Remember what that scripture that we read for our um, understanding of the, these two things says about justification. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 4. He says, those will be justified who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. So it wasn't only Christ's death that provided us the verdict of not guilty. It was also, Paul says, his resurrection. He was raised also for our justification. How important is the resurrection of Christ in our justification, in our being declared innocent? I think probably our most natural thing is for our minds to go to the death. That's where the sacrifice was made. That's where the penalty was paid. That's where the guilt was taken care of. But why this resurrection also in respect to our justification? How important is it? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because he testified, we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Here it is. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and... You are still in your sins. You hear what he says there? He says the death is important. It's essential to our justification. But he says if Christ didn't rise, your justification is incomplete. If Christ didn't rise, you are still, people of God, Paul says, in your sins. So even if Christ died, and even if we're united with Christ in his death, if he didn't rise from the dead, we're still guilty. We're not justified. The whole Christian faith, Paul says, empty, useless, pointless, vain. Christ's resurrection, his resurrection, is so important in our justification that we cannot have the one without the other. Why is this? Why is it necessary for our justification, not only that Christ died, but also that he rose from the dead? More particularly, why is it so important that we be united with Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection? Well, okay. Let's think about another aspect of Christ's death. Before we looked at the death as satisfying the requirements of the law. What did the death of Christ really mean? What was happening when he was nailed to the cross to die? And some of the work that um, we've been doing with um, some, some Muslim groups up in, uh, in Dayton. This was recently just brought to my attention and focus as we 
We talked about the way Jesus died and the way that Jesus had to die. Jesus could not have been run down by an ox cart in the street. Jesus had to die by crucifixion. Why? Because this is what God was saying through that execution. Galatians 3. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. According to the law, the one hanged on a tree bore the curse of God. His death and the particular way in which he died was a declaration of condemnation. It was a declaration of accursedness. Christ's death meant that he was counted as one cursed. That he was under the sentence of condemnation. Isaiah 53, 12, that we read earlier. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Now we know why this earlier is a good thing. Because it means that he took our penalty as the one who died in our place as a transgressor. But why is this a problem? Well, remember, remember how we said that both union with Adam and union with Christ, how these unions work. The verdict of the one becomes the verdict of those who are in that one. Christ died because of and by taking on that verdict of guilty. And if Christ were to remain dead, that cursed verdict would be remaining on him. And the guilt of verdict remaining on him means that it would remain on all of us who are united with him. What good does it do us to be united to one guilty? It does no good. This is again why one of the reasons Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Well, thinking again to the analogy we used last week with the board game, we said that Christ, having played that game perfectly, having obeyed every single one of God's commands, came to the end of the board and had every right on that basis of going into the life end, life section, the life space, and instead moved his peace into death. And again, there voluntarily taking upon himself the wrath and the curse of God, the verdict of guilty. And in union with him, his play became ours, including his death. But God didn't leave him there. Why? Well, because as it turns out, even this last move, this voluntary plunge into death instead of life, even this move was done in obedience to God's command to him. We read this in Philippians 2, 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Think of these words together now. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, which we now have been reminded what that means. 
Christ's submission to death was the continuation of the obedience he had performed in his entire life up to that point. Do you know what God did? God rewarded that obedience. And how? Well, Paul goes on to tell us. Therefore, in Philippians 2, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The first act of that exaltation was God's raising him from the dead. What did that resurrection prove? What did it show? What did it demonstrate? Paul says in Romans 1, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By His resurrection from the dead. Christ's resurrection demonstrates that even though He had borne the sin and borne the guilt of others, He Himself was no true sinner, but rather the perfectly holy Son of God in whom God was perfectly pleased. And God showed that by restoring him to life. And so just as the death meant his condemnation, so we see his resurrection is his vindication. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16, he was manifested in the flesh and he was vindicated. The word there actually being justified. He was shown to be righteous by his resurrection, by the Spirit. The the resurrection of Christ was the declaration of his righteousness. It was the announcement of the counter-verdict. He is not guilty. In that sense, in that manner of speaking, it was his justification, his vindication. He himself had committed no sin. He had taken guilt upon himself, but the guilt he had taken upon himself was the guilt of others. It was our condemnation. It was our penalty for that guilt. But the penalty for that guilt, he he paid. He paid it with his own death. He paid it in full. And now that that penalty had been paid, and now that God's justice had been perfectly satisfied through the paying of that penalty... There was no longer any condemnation. His condemnation is removed. His sentence is reversed. He stands forth once again, not one as bearing guilt, but one as he truly is perfectly, shiningly righteous. And here now then is the point we've been driving at. All of us who are united with him, first in his death, but now also in his resurrection, for us too, that penalty has been paid, been paid in full. And we stand in his position as not guilty, perfectly righteous. As one writer has summarized it, John Gill, he said, Christ's dying showed that he was arrested and condemned. But his resurrection shows that he is discharged. And we... In him, you were guilty. Uniting you to himself, Christ took your verdict of guilty. Christ was not guilty. Uniting you to himself, 
He gives you his verdict, not guilty. So I hope now we can see how important it is to be united with Christ both in his death and in his resurrection. And what encouragement is there for us to take away from all of this? First of all, if, if you are one who has not yet trusted in Christ, if you have not yet been united with Christ, both in his death and his resurrection, then like all of us, like all of us before we're in Christ, your verdict presently stands as guilty. All of us, every single one of us. And if you've not put your trust in Christ, if you've not been united to Christ, then you need to recognize that danger. You need to come to him. And you need, you need his verdict of not guilty. But also know that as you come to him, he offers it freely. The eternal life that follows from it, he gives as a free gift. And he gives it to everyone and anyone who trusts him to do that. For those of us though, who have already professed our faith in Christ, well, we know that we've been forgiven. We know that Christ's innocence has been given to us. Sometimes, and especially at times when we are struggling, struggling perhaps even with the sense of our own sin and our own personal guilt, sometimes it is difficult for us to truly rest in and feel and know that assurance. My word of encouragement to you when you're in those times of struggle and doubt and wrestling with assurance Look to Christ's resurrection. Look to what happened to him. Christ's resurrection is, first of all, the proof, the proof that the penalty for your sins has been fully paid. He took the full penalty upon himself. Unless he had paid it in full, he would not have been released from death. But he was because he did. It's done. Look to his resurrection as proof and reassurance that in union with him, consequently, it's been paid for you as well, in full. And again, Christ's resurrection is the proof of his perfect righteousness. And your baptism into his resurrection and the sign and the seal of the perfect, it's the sign and seal of the perfect righteousness that you have in him. If you want to know whether or not you are innocent before God, look to Christ's resurrection and behold his innocence because you are in him. If you believe in Christ, you are as guiltless as he is alive. And he is fully alive. And not only that, but he is eternally alive. As Paul says in Romans 6, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And what is what this means is not only is your innocence perfected, it is eternally secured. It is there. As long as he is alive, so is your justification. And he lives forever. And this is why Paul can say in the passage that we read, 8.33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, now we know why he says that. More than that, who was raised. And in that raising, Christ was vindicated. And in his vindication, you are vindicated. 
be encouraged, people of God. Rejoice. Rest in the resurrection of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask again for your help. We ask again for the power of your spirit to open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts. We would know what has become of us through our faith in Christ. Let us see, Lord, just the inexhaustible riches that we have. Let us see the the invaluable gift that we have of Christ's righteousness given to us by his death and resurrection. Help us to walk as people who, Father, are thankful for this. Let us walk as people, Lord, who demonstrate your goodness as a result of our love and our affection. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's respond to this word of Christ's exaltation by singing Psalm 110. I look up once again. By faith, receive the blessing of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.